Hey, it's Anna Sale, and I want to thank you for listening to Death, Sex, and Money, where I explore the big questions and hard choices that are often left out of polite conversation. You can hear new episodes ad-free every week on Amazon Music, where you can find Death, Sex, and Money and all of your Slate favorites without the ads. What money does is it gives you choices. And now I'm if I stay, I'm, I'm choosing to stay. If I go, I'm choosing to go versus being forced out and not having any choice like last year. This is Death, Sex, and Money. Are you or aren't you? Dying? Yeah. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot. What are we going to do? Talk about me sex life. And need to talk about more. What is your obsession with this money? I'm Anna Sale. I got a text at night saying she needed to talk, and I knew. I knew, because this had always been my fear, that I was going to lose the apartment. A year ago, Heidi Reinberg was getting ready to leave New York after 30 years. She lived in her Brooklyn apartment for more than a decade, and she had a great deal in her neighborhood, Park Slope, until her landlord decided to sell the building and told her she needed to move out. I don't necessarily have the money. I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. Heidi was on one of the first episodes of Death, Sex, and Money. She's a freelance documentary producer and works on television shows like House Hunters. But it had been months since she had steady work. She did have thousands of dollars in credit card debt and very little savings. When I met her, she had just started looking for a new place to live. My goal is to sort of keep my family intact as much as I can. When you say your family intact, who do you mean? Well, my dog and my cat. (laughs) Her cat, Romeo, and her dog, Stella, an old chow mix with three legs. I went to her apartment when she was packing up. Her plan was to go live with her sister in L.A. I haven't decided whether I'm taking the animals yet, which is killing me. Um, She told me then that during those final days on her block, she was avoiding her neighbors. You know, you you feel like a failure. I mean, do you feel like you're sort of slinking away? Well, there's, I mean, there's definitely a a shame factor to it. I mean, I'll say that. I mean, I think you can talk to your friends about you can talk to them about sex. You can talk to them about, you know, depression. You can talk about health things. What are the other taboos? Like, but you can't talk about money. Money is the last taboo. And maybe I'm underestimating my friends. But when you, you know, nobody wants to hear that you're having a hard time making ends meet. So when you think about your life six months from now, and what you want it to look like. Like, what would your day be like? Um, I guess what I would hope for myself in six months, because I can't envision anything now, but what I would hope for is that I do have a job that makes me happy. And I guess I am looking forward to the, you know, time when I can leave New York and not, miss it so much. I thought about Heidi often after this episode came out. I know a lot of people like her who stitched together a living with very little give for something unexpected. Heidi's old apartment was $1,100 a month, and when she lost that deal, everything gave way. 
and every decision during her 30 years in New York was up for examination. I needed to know what happened after she left. I reached out to Heidi last fall. The first thing I learned is she didn't stay gone for long. I am back. I have not gotten an apartment because I can't see spending the money to get an apartment because I'm on the road working, like, so much. Wait, you're back. What does that mean? <laughs> I Originally, I guess I, I moved, what was it, June 4th? I think that was the, de- that was the date. I moved June 4th out to L.A. Um, July 7th, I flo- flew back to New York City for a job. Um, I think I went back out to L.A. once to see my cat and then ended up coming back here for work. Um, So uh, it's very clear to me that I need to be in New York for work now, and work has just sort of exploded. Wow. Yeah. What changed? I don't really... It's funny. I don't know that... um, Necessarily anything changed. I mean, when I when I initially came back, things were and, and things were really bad. So it was like I was getting a job and um, I was paying to board my cat out in L.A. So it was like basically I was paying rent um, as much in rent for my cat out there. So it was like I was living paycheck to paycheck. Um, and things so things were not great for a while. Um, I didn't see any reason to go back to LA necessarily. I didn't have work there, but I had the hope of work here. And I was working, I would say, like on you know, going out once a month. And then things hit sort of rock bottom. My cat died in LA. I wasn't oh. there. I couldn't afford to go back there. I couldn't afford to have Romeo cremated. How much you, does it cost? It was $120. And I couldn't afford it. He'd spent you know, the last month of his life at the vet's office in a cage, which was not the way I wanted things to go. Um, so right now you're staying with friends. Right now I'm staying with friends, and I've been I've been staying with friends, yeah. Like in a spare bedroom? <laughs> in a basement. I call it the sensory deprivation <laughs> chamber in the basement. It's completely dark. Her friends, Tim and Chris, are also freelancers, They weren't particularly close before Heidi moved in, but they understood, and they held her accountable. They asked her what she was doing to find work, helped her build a website, had dinner with her every night. At a particularly low point, they took me out, and and, uh, and part of the structure was, okay, you need to get, you know, you need to exercise, so we're going to go buy you some sneakers so that you can walk, because you can't afford the gym, but we're going to, you know, and I was like, no, 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 I can't accept that. And they forced me to go buy sneakers. And then I was forced to walk every morning, too. What they did is they just created a safe space for me to be where I was, and that was okay. And baby steps. Very much baby steps. So, Because I'm like, you know, when I got the shoes, it was like, I'm going to start running. I'm going to, maybe I'll run the marathon. And they were like, just walk. (laughs) Just, you know, take a walk every day. That's Heidi Reinberg from when we talked last fall. Another thing her friends Chris and Tim did for her is to keep Stella, that old three-legged dog, when Heidi had to travel for work. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Coming up, I visit Heidi's new place in Brooklyn, where she and Stella just moved this spring. I've really learned, and it's kind of like not rocket science, but I really have learned, like, everything is a compromise. (laughs) 
So a year ago, when I said I was starting a show called Death, Sex, and Money, this is something I heard a lot. Who in the world would come up with a title like that? <laughs> now I'm hearing things like this. Hi, Anna, and everyone else at Death, Sex, and Money. I'm leaving you a message from Cape Town, South Africa. I'm contacting you because I have experienced something that I feel alone in experiencing, but I suspect isn't so unusual. My story is just so different that I thought it was worth sharing. I want to know people's stories about deal breakers. I just think these relationships are so, so important. And not only am I totally living it, but your podcast actually changed the very way I'm going to frame my life. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for listening and for sharing so much with the show. And it's made us want to do more. So as we celebrate this first year of Death, Sex, and Money, I want to ask you to give us some money. We make this show at WNYC, New York's public radio station, and we rely on listener contributions to do what we do. You make up the single largest source of funding for us. So to do more at Death, Sex, and Money, I'm asking if you can pitch in. Go to deathsexmoney.org slash donate to give. Give any amount and we'll send you a Death, Sex, and Money sticker. It's the perfect size for a laptop, a musical instrument case, the back window of a pickup truck. The website again, deathsexmoney.org slash donate. And it really does matter that we hear from you as we look ahead to the next year. We have some big plans. Again, thank you so much for everything over this last year. On the next episode, Texas musician Robert Earl Keane. He writes and sings songs that are honest and clear. He answers questions about sex the same way. I think sex is a huge driving force in your life. And to be honest, I would say that somewhere in your 50s, you lose some of that drive, and it is somewhat devastating. I have another podcast for you to try. It's called The Sporkful, hosted by Dan Pashman. It's about food, but it's not about chefs or restaurants or recipes. The Sporkful covers things like what to eat on a first date or what your kitchen says about you. You can find The Sporkful wherever you get your podcast or in the WNYC app. This episode is brought to you by Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he will chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. We have had a lot of exciting new things to share with you about the show recently, but this might be some of our biggest news yet. Death, Sex, and Money is officially going to be live in New York City at the Tribeca Festival on June 11th. And I want to personally invite you to the live taping we'll be doing with the legendary journalist Kara Swisher. If you know Kara's work, you know her ability to get people to tell her things 
is unmatched. And she does it in her signature hard-charging way. She's not afraid of things getting a little combustible. I have a slightly different interview style, so we're going to talk about that and play around with that in experimental ways that I think will make this a special show unlike any of our other live shows up to this point. And it's not often that I get to do a live Death, Sex, and Money show in New York, so I really hope to see you there. Whether you're in the city, on the East Coast, or just been looking for a reason to visit New York City, come on June 11th for this show. You can get tickets now at TribecaFilm.com slash Death, Sex, Money. We are so excited to see you there. Coming soon from Slate Podcasts. So, first it was Dade County. Voters in the Miami area repealed civil rights for gay people by a two-to-one margin. In the late 1970s, cities around the country began rolling back anti-discrimination laws that protected gay people. And then it was Wichita, St. Paul, Eugene. Successful campaigns against the gay community which shocked us all. A state senator from California watched the laws fall and saw an opportunity. Homosexuality is a most repulsive lifestyle. His name was John Briggs, and he wanted to deliver the anti-gay movement its biggest prize yet. California realized that they were coming for us. I'm Christina Cotarucci. This season on Slow Burn, we'll explore how a nationwide backlash against gays and lesbians led to a massive showdown in California. Now it's something called Proposition 6, the Briggs Initiative. It would call for firing any teachers in California who practice homosexuality. Your life as you knew it would be destroyed. We've got to fight back. We can't let this happen in California. The Briggs Initiative would be the first statewide vote on gay rights. With so much at stake, young people became activists. We were all coming out all day long, every day. (laughs) And activists became leaders. My name is Harvey Milk, and I'm here to recruit you. Slow Burn, Season 9, Gays Against Briggs. Out May 22nd, wherever you listen. If we lose here, it'll be 50 years before we ever get back up again. Like the drag queens say, take out the earrings, sharpen the nails. There ain't no going back. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. I visited Heidi Reinberg in her new apartment a few weeks ago. She's just rejoined the YMCA in the neighborhood and wears those sneakers that her friends Chris and Tim bought her. There's not a person in the world that says that exercise makes them feel worse. (laughs) Is there? (laughs) So so I don't think it's hyperbole to say that Chris and Tim saved my life. She's not living out of a suitcase anymore. And for the first time in a year, she's getting her stuff out of storage. I spent two hours going through all my kitchen boxes and pulling out the stuff that we absolutely needed. When did you move into this apartment? So I've been in this apartment now, um, I guess, as of April 1st. So I'm officially sharing an apartment now. I'm two blocks from where I actually was last year, not by design. That's just the apartment that I sort of leapt into. And I'm actually, um, my roommate is a 25-year-old. So sort of back where I started, I was like, when I actually came to see her and I got, you know, found an internet listing. And when I actually came to meet her, I was like, oh, my God, she's going to think I'm like Grandma Moses. 
and is this my life when I'm in my 50s? I'm going to be looking at roommates again. But it's actually, it's, it's worked out pretty well. The apartment's small. It's basically two bedrooms with a living room in between, with a kitchen off to the side. But it's airy with lots of light and great views of Manhattan. Check out the view. Because you have to walk up four floors to get there. It's not the setup Heidi envisioned for herself a year ago. But after so much moving around, she's more realistic about the trade-offs it takes to stay in the city. That's, that's New York. But, and it's a lot of other places right now, too. Can we talk a little bit about your financial situation? Sure. You're going to ask me for numbers, aren't you? <laughs> okay, you can try. <laughs> sure. Um, well, let's start kind of broadly. Like, when we, when we spoke a year ago, you had credit card debt, and you, had, you didn't have much in savings. Yeah, and I've got some, I've got some in savings now from um, sort of a, a fluky thing that happened. Um, I was working all through, very very consistently through, I guess the last summer and fall. Well, once I started working, I started working consistently. And the fluky thing was that just you had consistent work. Well, that was a fluky thing, um, but then I also just uh, got. A little bit of a little bit of money from like a sale of some family land. Okay. So a very you know a, a very little bit, but it was like at least I could put that in the bank and just have it in the bank. And when we talked a year ago, you said that you didn't discuss money with your mom. Yeah. Did you have to discuss money with your family as you were selling that land? Um, no, because we didn't have. I mean, my mom's still not going to discuss land with us, and it was you know it was below. She gave us maxed out on so we wouldn't have to pay taxes on it that means the amount of money was less than fourteen thousand dollars heidi didn't want to tell me the exact amount because she didn't want to upset her mother and then that would be the point at which where a lot of people would say that's not a small amount of money that's you know but and i get that so you got a, a chunk of money that was below the taxable threshold that's not like down payment money but it's cushion money that it's you didn't cush- have it's before cushion and yes and um, and I and I and I don't I've never had you know I haven't had a cushion. Have you changed the way that you save and spend money in the last like since twenty fifteen started? Well, I have money to spend, <laughs> which is which is really nice. Um, I don't know. Um, I mean, that's almost, I guess, sort of a luxury. I know I don't want to be broke again. Um, But I do know that I don't want to pay. Like, I I think when last we spoke, I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to have to make more money if I want to live here. And if it costs, and seriously, at that point, I was like, if it costs me $5,000 a month or $3,500 a month or, you know, whatever to live here, then I'm just going to have to make that. And now I'm to the point where it's like, I don't, I don't want to pay that much for an apartment anymore. How much is your rent here sharing with a roommate? Um, I'm not sure what the total rent is. I'm paying thirteen fifty plus utilities now. And how is your credit card debt? Oh, it's still there and I'm paying it down. So, you know, I'm paying I'm paying things off. Um You said you don't want to be broke again? Yeah. What have you done to not be broke again? 
I start worrying about running out of money long before I run out of it, for one thing. Um, when my bank account gets to be a certain point, then I, you know, then I start getting agitated a little bit more. Um, I also, I think it, I tell people, I think very pointedly that I'm looking for work. So I'm doing, I hate the word networking and some of that can be so desperate, but I mean, I do, uh, sort of look, uh, you know, that's the way, that's the way you get work. So you're 54 years old and a half. Let's just, let's just go there. <laughs> you're 54 and a half years old. Are you preparing for retirement? I will prepare. I will prepare for retirement when it's, you know, when financially I'm able to prepare for retirement. Um, I think what I could prepare financially, what I could prepare for right now is, uh, you know, would be a dent in what I need to obviously to live on. I will say that I'm fortunate enough to be from a family where we're not, you know, we are not, I wouldn't even put us in the rich category, but I will have, you know, I'll have a cushion because I will have family money at some point. Um, I can't worry about retirement. And I'm sure there'll be many people who say, we're going to be taking care of you, you irresponsible hussy. <laughs> so, <laughs> You said that Chris and Tim saved your life. Yeah, I don't think that, I don't feel like that's hyperbole to say that. Um, I, I, yeah, I think um, when I went to live with them, I was like at the, I was just at the end of my rope. So, um, you know, do I have it, do I have it in me to do that? Uh, do I have it in me to kill myself? Probably not. You know, I mean, I thought a lot about that and, and it certainly felt like, if there was ever a time that, that I was near that, um, and they asked, they flat out asked, but I think I'm, I've learned over the last year, like I had just have so many friends and somehow I'm always, I always managed to rally. And I really do think, you know, are you watching Kimmy Schmidt? I've seen it. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, she says you just do it for 10 seconds and then do it for net. You can take anything for 10 seconds and then do it for another 10 seconds and then start the counting over. And that's really like, I, I was just at the point, like, I don't know the questions to ask any, you know, I don't know the questions to ask. I don't know. I mean, almost like a corkscrew. It's like, I just kept turning around and turning around and turning around and I had no idea which, you know, way I was supposed to take a step. Um, you know, and um, and when you lose your identity, particularly people in my age group, you know, we talk about reinvention. Well, by nature, if you're reinventing yourself, then you're shedding one identity, which you, you know, you've lived with for 50 years. You've lived with it your entire professional life. And now you're being asked to, like, throw that away and take on, you know, put on a new coat. And that's you've lost everything about yourself. And when you're confronted with that, it's very difficult to know where to, you know, never mind knowing what coat you're going to put on, but how to even like go to the store to get a coat at that point. Mm. Um, you lose your professional life and you just, or who you think you are, I guess it can be personal. It can be professional. Like, you know, your marriage can break up, whatever it is. In my, in my case, it was my home, you know, and my life in Park Slope. 
And even if it takes a year to get back, it's like, I think eventually you do get back. You just have to do it 10 seconds at a time, as Kimmy Schmidt says. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And eventually those 10 seconds add up to however much they need to add up to. Heidi Reinberg in her new apartment in Brooklyn. She signed a six-month lease. She's not sure how long she'll stay or where she and Stella might go next. Death, Sex, and Money is a production of WNYC. The team includes Katie Bishop, Emily Botine, James Ramsey, Caitlin Pierce, Zachary Mack, and Joe Plourd. The Reverend John Delore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. I'm on Twitter at Anna Sale. The show's at Death, Sex, Money. And don't forget, please give to Death, Sex, and Money to get that sticker. You can pledge support at any level at deathsexmoney.org slash donate. One more update. Heidi is online dating, which she mentioned to me when she was showing me her bedroom, where she and her dog sleep on a mattress on the floor. I read something about OkCupid, like this is the deal breaker that you don't have a bed frame because you're not a serious person and you're not financially whatever if you don't have a bed frame. So the, the, the bed is on the floor so that Stella can get on it. <laughs> so you read that it was a deal breaker. I read that it was a deal so breaker. you want to make sure I everyone make... knows there's a rationale. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, it's the world's biggest dog bed, but yeah. I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to try the Sporkful podcast. Start with the recent episode with comedian Ron Funches about trying to eat healthier and all the ways he's tried to get his autistic son to do the same. You can find the Sporkful wherever you get your podcast or in the WNYC app. Coming soon from Slate Podcasts. So, first it was Dade County. Voters in the Miami area repealed civil rights for gay people by a two-to-one margin. In the late 1970s, cities around the country began rolling back anti-discrimination laws that protected gay people. And then it was Wichita, St. Paul, Eugene. Successful campaigns against the gay community which shocked us all. A state senator from California watched the laws fall and saw an opportunity. Homosexuality is a most repulsive lifestyle. His name was John Briggs, and he wanted to deliver the anti-gay movement its biggest prize yet. California realized that they were coming for us. I'm Christina Cotarucci. This season on Slow Burn, we'll explore how a nationwide backlash against gays and lesbians led to a massive showdown in California. Now it's something called Proposition 6, the Briggs Initiative. It would call for firing any teachers in California who practice homosexuality. Your life as you knew it would be destroyed. We've got to fight back. We can't let this happen in California. The Briggs Initiative would be the first statewide vote on gay rights. With so much at stake, young people became activists. We were all coming out all day long, every day. (laughs) And activists became leaders. My name is Harvey Milk, and I'm here to recruit you. Slow Burn, Season 9, Gays Against Briggs. Out May 22nd, wherever you listen. If we lose here, it'll be 50 years before we ever get back up again. Like the drag queens say, take out the earrings, sharpen the nails, there ain't no going back.